Good morning. Wasn't that wonderful watching people get baptised this morning? I wrote down some of the things that they'd said up on the screen because it just really um, inspired me. One of them said, Today I walk with God as he transforms my life. Here I am. Another one said, He makes everything beautiful in its time. I think those words, I hope those words inspire you today. I hope you're here with the knowledge that God is able to transform your life, that he's able to make everything beautiful in his time. I get the privilege of continuing the series, Imago Day, with walking humbly with God. Can we just say one more prayer? Father, we just commit this word to you. You promise that your words will not return void. So I pray that it will be your words that are heard today. Father, we just come with, we choose to open up our ears right now and our hearts. We know we are here for a reason, whether we were whether we are here in this building or whether we've joined online, we know that there's a reason for this moment. Meet us, we pray, in your precious name. Amen. Some years ago, when I was 19 or 20, I was a leader in Royal Rangers. Royal Rangers was kind of like scouts or girl guides, but it had a Christian foundation and I was looking after a group of teenage girls, and I built relationships with them, and I grew close to them. And one of these girls was adopted, and because I was adopted, she began sharing with me, and sometimes writing letters to me, just telling me that she was struggling a bit with her adopted mum. And so I would try to encourage her and sometimes I even wrote letters back saying, hang in there, it's going to be all right. And one day I was confronted by the mother and she was really angry. She'd found one of these letters and she believed that I'd crossed a line and that I was meddling in her family. So in an effort to reconcile, an older pastor in the church brought the mum and the daughter and I together. And in the to and fro of uh, explaining what had happened and how it had been perceived, I really felt not to argue, not to fight, not to try to defend myself. And so I said to this woman, I'm so sorry. I can see that I've wounded you deeply. It was never my intention. Would you please forgive me? She left that day. She didn't forgive me in that moment. But after she'd left, the pastor turned to me and he said, why did you apologize? You didn't do anything wrong. And nearly 30 years later, as I was preparing this message, I was actually out at Changsha at Bethany Retreat, and I was sitting out on the cliffs, and God brought this memory back to me. And he showed me that in that moment, 
I placed myself in a lowly place. This woman was expecting me to argue, to try to prove that what I'd done was right. She was expecting me to try to take the high ground. But instead, I took the low ground, a place of humility, and it ended the fight because there was no lower place I could go. So often we fight for the high ground. We do this in our careers. We do this in our conflicts, in our desire to be right. And we do this with God. Andrew shared about this, that when he was heading off a sabbatical, he was justifying to God why he thought he deserved higher ground, that he deserved something better from God. We're surrounded by a world that only speaks about the high ground. Be more, want more, achieve more, learn more, push yourself above the crowd, stand out. Micah 6.8 says, He's showing you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You see, humility fights for the low ground. Jesus taught his disciples and he demonstrated with his life how to take the low ground. Why is humility so difficult. Well, let's go back to the beginning, back to the garden. What was Eve tempted with? You will be like God. She was tempted with more. She was tempted to elevate herself to a higher place. This desire to achieve deep pleasure or satisfaction from our own achievements from the positions we hold and the possessions we obtain was ingrained into our DNA from the very first sin. That's why in Ephesians 4, to 24, it says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Eve was tricked with a lie. You will be like God. The truth was, she already was. God created her in his image. It was a gift, not something she had to strive for in her own strength. If you want to walk humbly with God, you have to start with this truth. You have been created in the image of God. The love God has for you cannot be measured or altered. If you've chosen God, he's already given you the highest honor. He's called you his son, his daughter. Nothing on earth can ever compare or satisfy 
as deeply as the acceptance of this truth. It is not obtained through striving or good works, but purely through acceptance. You know, Micah uses strong words. What does the Lord require of you? This word require has a number of meanings. And one of them is that needed for a particular purpose. If we say that a patient requires an operation, it means that they need that for a particular person purpose. They need that to fix something that's wrong. The Lord requires us to walk humbly with him. Another meaning is compulsory. If we say something is required by law, we know that it's not optional. So why is humility required? What is the particular purpose of walking humbly with God? And why is it compulsory? 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Under the mighty hand of God. It's choosing whose fingerprints you want to shape your life. God doesn't need us to humble ourselves. He doesn't need us to submit ourselves. He doesn't need anything. It's not for his sake that he calls us to walk humbly with him, that he calls us to position ourselves under his mighty hand. It is for our sake. It's important to God because he knows we need it for our well-being, for our flourishing. And the world that he loves needs to see a different way of living, one that is free from self-striving. Requires us to walk humbly with him. So what's the purpose? Firstly, as mentioned, it is for our sake. The world's requirements far outweigh God's. God calls us to walk with him and to trust in his mighty hand. The world calls us to run, to rely on our own efforts, our own knowledge, our own abilities. Trying to keep up with the world's requirements leads to deep weariness, deep dissatisfaction and mental health issues. Because there is always more to be grasped for. Always a higher place. Always a position to push for. Always a better car, a better house, a better holiday to strive for. Ecclesiastes 1.14 says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, or all is pride and grasping for the wind. The second purpose of why God calls us to walk humbly with him is because we are called to be a light that others follow. The world is full of exhausted, 
frustrated, frightened, overworked, desperate people who are spending their lives grasping after wind. It's estimated that 10% of the world's population is affected with a mental illness. This doubles in children and adolescents. 20% of our young ones are struggling with a mental illness. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. That's a fifth. A fifth of our children and adolescents are suffering. The most common mental illnesses are anxiety disorders and depression. I see this played out in education. Children and young people running to keep up with the requirements of the world, desperately grasping to be more than the student sitting next to them, desperately grasping to get that A, desperately grasping for more knowledge, not for the pure joy of learning, but purely to get ahead to push themselves above the crowd. But you see, it never ends. The bars keep getting pushed higher and higher, and more and more is required. The world's requirements can never be satisfied because there is always a higher place to strive for. 20% of our young ones are breaking down because no matter what they do, it is never enough. They feel like they will never be enough. They reach for things that in the end don't satisfy and they face a future that increasingly feels out of their control. Do the people around us if you've chosen here today to follow Christ, do the people around you see a different way? Do they see a piercing light emanating from you, revealing humility? A deep trust in the one we are walking with? Or do they see the same anxieties? Do they see the same grasping after wind. And what do our children see in us? And I'm not just speaking to parents here. I'm talking to us all. Because we are all influencers. We are all educators. What do the children see in us? What are we modelling for them? What are our expectations for them? Are they built on the sure knowledge that God can be trusted with their futures? Are they built on love and deep acceptance, no matter what their report card says? Who is driving the expectations you have for the kids and the young people in your life? Is it God's requirements or is it the world's? Now, I'm not suggesting we don't encourage our children and young people to give their best. But what I am saying is that what they can or can't achieve should never be linked to their value and identity. 
Our children need to know that our love for them cannot be altered and that our love and acceptance is not linked to their achievements. It's the same with us and God. What we can or can't do for God has no effect on his love and acceptance of us. Why is humility compulsory, as in not optional? It's simple. The opposite place of humility is pride. And pride forces God to do something he really doesn't want to do. You see, pride drives a wedge between us and God. When we take things into our own hands, when we worry and care about things that God has promised to take care of, we allow pride into our lives. We essentially call God a liar and say, you can't be trusted. We are saying we can do a better job of running our own lives. You see, this is what Eve and Adam did. They took their lives into their own hands. They chose not to trust God. They believed lies. Their choices broke their relationship with God and it separated them from him. 1 Peter 5 verses 5 and 6 says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility For God, notice this next word, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The verb resists here vividly pictures God as one who places himself in battle array against such individuals. God stands against you, actively resisting you. Pride, though sometimes we speak of it by some lighter name, like independence and self-reliance, positions us against God. It tells him, I don't trust you. I'm tired of waiting for your timing. I'm taking my life into my own hands. It tells him I'm holding on to my cares and my worries because then I feel like I'm in control. Pride removes the hand of God and the active presence of God in our lives. God opposes pride because it destroys our relationship with him. He opposes pride because it is destructive, as it was from the very beginning. Pride destroys not only our relationship with God, but also the relationships we have with each other. And Andrew's going to be exploring this uh, issue next week in next week's sermon. Humility is knowing your true value and position with God and then choosing to follow Christ's footsteps. Philippians 2 verses 6 to 7 says, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Another version says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Why is humility compulsory? It's God's nature. Imago Dei, image of God, we're created in his image. And God wants us to image him well. When we are clothed in humility, we are clothed in the likeness of God. God wants us to be just like his son, just like Jesus, willing to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of others, willing to take the form of a servant, willing to position ourselves in a low place because of the love we have for God and his creation. So how do we walk humbly with God? How do we humble ourselves under his mighty hand? How do we clothe ourselves with humility? It starts with identity, knowing who you truly are in God's eyes, knowing your true value and your true worth. People often mistakenly think that humility comes from a place of weakness. This is probably because the word humility comes from the Latin word humilis, which means low. However, this is entirely false. Humility comes from a deep place of strength. Strength built on a deep trust in God that what he says is true, that what he says about you is true. That you are the apple of his eye, that before you were born, he wrote the pages of your life to give you a future and a hope. He cares for you. His thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand that fill our beaches. Understanding and trusting that God knows you and deeply loves you through no effort of your own, but purely through grace, can give us the strength to surrender our lives completely to his fingerprints. It allows us to trust in his timing to lift us up. It gives us the courage to position ourselves on the low ground. Insecurities are really us doubting who God says we are. And insecurities left unchecked will keep us always wanting to prove ourselves, always needing to be seen, always needing to be right, always reaching and striving for more. 
Humility says God can be trusted and understands that the posture of humility releases grace into our lives, releases the favor of God into our lives. Humility says God can be trusted with our everything. His fingerprints can touch our time, our money, our careers, our relationships. It is the strength of our relationship with God and our trust in him that determines whether we will have the courage to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others and allow God's fingerprints to touch every area of our life. Walking humbly with God, being clothed with humility, these words give us a clue to how humility can be outworked in our lives. In my last sermon, Walking Blameless, I looked at the metaphor of walking with God. And here, once again, we have Micah calling us to walk humbly with God. Walking is a measured movement, something that we do every day, an action that is learned since none of us were born with the ability to walk. Like walking, humility is learned. It's learned in relationship relationship with God, and it's intended to be walked out. It's intended to be acted upon. You see, being humble means nothing unless you're walking it out. How we walk matters. God is requiring that our walk with him and that our walk on this earth be characterized by humility. So how... Do you walk? What characterizes your walk? Now let's look at the metaphor of being clothed with humility. Clothing is something that hopefully we put on every day. Though in the COVID season, maybe in your own home, she's like, ah, doesn't matter. But clothing is normally something we put on every day. Humility is something that we choose to put on. Something we choose to walk in every day. It's a daily positioning of ourselves in relationship with God. A daily choosing to trust in his mighty hand. A daily choosing to value others more highly than ourselves. Being humble is a daily choice, and just as easily as it can be chosen, it can also be forgotten and thrown off. Two weeks ago, I headed to the park and shop to buy some groceries. At the checkout, while I was packing my groceries, the two men in line behind me pushed through, put their groceries on the counter, and then stood in front of the register. And I hadn't paid. Immediately, my hackles went up. 
And so I began sort of shuffling over to the register and trying to get in front of them. And I was about to do my pin number and I realised they were standing right behind me, like literally on my shoulders. And I kind of turned around and said, what are you doing? I made sure they knew that I felt like they'd invaded my space. I made them feel or know that I was not happy with them. They quickly retreated and one of them said, I'm sorry. I walked out of the shops and on the way home I started shaking my head and I was shaking my head at myself. Was I gracious in that moment? Did I put those men's needs above my own? No. I couldn't believe how quickly I'd become a person whose self-interest outweighed everybody else's. Humility can be very quickly thrown off, especially in a city like Hong Kong. Where are the areas in your life that you tend to throw off humility? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your workplace? Is it with your parents, with a brother or a sister, or with your children? We have to retrain ourselves to fight for the low ground. Spurgeon said that, in fact, in the church of God, the way up is to go down. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 10, 42 to 45, and it's as relevant for us today. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our cultures tell us that the low place is not the place you want to be. It tells us there's no power there. You're at the mercy of others. God says the low place is where you have access to all of his power. You have access to all of his favor. This is what it means to submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. You surrender your self-will to his will. Fight for the low ground. This is what Jesus did. He disadvantaged himself for us, and by doing so, he advantaged us. And he is calling us to live in the same way, to truly be the image of God. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and I'd like to invite you to stand with me. Can you just close your eyes?
in preparing this sermon, God just gave me a few different words, I think, for people who are in here today. He told me that some of you have submitted yourselves in earthly situations and you've been betrayed. Some of you have been suppressed, pushed down. And God just wanted to remind you that he is not like that. You know, we become better at walking with practice. We become better at walking humbly with practice. Sometimes when humans have had a traumatic accident, they have to learn to walk again. And I really felt like God said, some of you have experienced trauma and it's changed the way you walk. Some of you, you aren't walking with God at all. Some of you haven't started. And I just want to say to you that today can be your day, that you are loved And if you would like to give your life to God, then we invite you at the end to just let someone know so that we can pray with you. Some of you, you started walking with God, but you're no longer walking with him. You started with him, but seeing a lack of humility in others, not receiving grace and mercy when you needed it, closed your heart to God. If that's you, I want to say sorry. Christians are meant to image God, but we fail. If you've been wounded by Christians, if we've hurt you with our words or our actions, and it's affected how you see God, please forgive us. Because he is calling you home. He's calling you today to walk again with him. For the rest of us, we have to carry God's image better. The world has a very confused view of God, and we are largely to blame for that. You see, God weeps when we don't treat our helpers with dignity. He weeps when we push ourselves ahead of others to get to that seat on the MTR. He weeps when we work incredible hours to go further in our careers, but don't have the time for the people God's placed in our lives to protect and love. He weeps when it is within our power to encourage, build up, forgive, help, and instead we cross to the other side of the road. Weeps when we make someone feel small, when we fight for the high ground, when being right is more important than protecting relationships. This series is all about action. We need to take action. With God, we need to start retraining ourselves to take the low ground. It is only in this low position that we can fully realize all of our potential because it is only from this place that God raises us up and pours his favor over us and partners with us to fulfill 
all the plans he has for us and this world. If anything I've said this morning has touched your heart, would you open your hands in front of you? Because I'm going to pray for us. Father, we come to you and we hold out the things in our heart, the places that you've revealed to us today that maybe need your fingerprints. We hold them out to you, God, and we ask that you would deal with the pride in our lives, that you would help us to heal, that you would help us to trust that you'd help us to let go and trust in your mighty hand. Father, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come and wrap around each and every person in this place and listening online. Come, remind each person of their true identity, their true value. And from this place of deep acceptance of their worth, help us all to be willing to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of others. We ask this in your precious name, Lord. Amen.